That would be like my message to people is like, if you feel hesitant to participate because you don't want to add complexity to the project or you're afraid that you're just going to be like a drive-by contributor, like don't prevent yourself from taking that first step. I think the most important part to becoming a contributor in an open source community is taking that first step. Have you ever wondered how your dev team ranks in terms of productivity, speed, and business impact? With Linear B's new engineering benchmarks report, you can find out. The product of comprehensively analyzing the work of almost 2,000 dev teams at close to 1 million branches, the 2022 Engineering Benchmarks Report is the first ever look at what performance metrics make engineering orgs elite, average, or underperforming. Best of all, if you want your dev team's number to go from average to elite on any of the benchmarks, the report also provides concrete guidance on the behaviors, tools, and processes you need to get there. To explore the report in full, visit linearb.io slash benchmarks or click the link in the show notes of this episode. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Stan Lines, and today I'm joined by John Coglin, leader of GitLab's developer evangelism team. John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Really nice to be here with you today. Super excited to get the invite. Yeah, awesome to have you on here. A little interesting fact about you before you joined the whole developer world. You started out as a trader on Wall Street, but you quit because I guess you were miserable. Tell me about what was that like for you? So I worked at a company called Lima Brothers, which you might have heard of. And I was there from 2005 through 2008, which is when you know, the kind of financial markets melted down and, and sent us into the Great Recession. But it wasn't really like even the financial meltdown that kind of, you know, like helped me decide that I needed to switch careers. It was really just the culture. And I felt like I wanted to be in a place where there was like an industry that was growing, people were supportive of each other and a healthy work-life balance. And around that time, tech was really starting to kind of take off. This was like just after the iPhone. And so like mobile, you know, was kind of bringing tech to people's pockets. And um, it was just like a really kind of interesting, you know, an appealing place to be. And so it started a series of moves that eventually would help me get a foothold in that in that industry. Yeah, that's actually super interesting. And of course, I think we know a lot of people that worked in financial related things, maybe lost their soul or weren't so happy doing things that just drive like a, a ton of money. But that's like a really big difference from developer world. Like what were the series of things that you did? Because obviously you have a really cool job now. Like how did you actually do that transition? Yeah. So after leaving Wall Street, I, I joined AmeriCorps, which is like a national service organization. And I did a year of volunteer service with them. And then I worked as a volunteer program manager at United Way. And that was like my first kind of step in building community. And then from there, I went into entrepreneurship. I started one of the first co-working spaces in Brooklyn. And while I was running that co-working space, I had a conversation with a person. And they asked me like, what was my kind of mission in life? And, you know, we're standing, you know, the, the co-working space was on the water in Brooklyn. We're standing like between the Manhattan Bridge and the Brooklyn Bridge, really scenic spot. I'll never forget. I was like, you know, what I really want to do is like help people find community and happiness at work. And I think that was something that had been lacking for me kind of in the early part of my career. And I really didn't want other people to go through that same struggle that I had. And since then, I've, you know, that's really been the mission that's driven me. And so that was a core kind of mission of the co-working space that we were running, like creating this really welcoming and inclusive community for people who were going through the same kind of 
sort of growing pains and entrepreneurship pains. And then when that kind of opportunity wound down, I was looking for something else similar. And so I got into evangelism, working at a couple of e-commerce companies. And there, my mission was create a great engineering culture and create a way to promote that culture into the tech community to help with recruiting and retention and people being happy at work. And then the opportunity to join the GitLab team and really promote this great platform, those making people more efficient, more successful. And also at the time, like being an advocate for remote work, which I thought was a really important kind of trend and something that I wanted to see be successful to kind of open up opportunity for more people. Now the pandemic came along and really accelerated the adoption of remote work. But I think, you know, all of those other things have really been what's kind of been driving me and helping me be successful at GitLab. That's an awesome story. And it sounds like you've landed at, you know, kind of a, a really nice spot with GitLab. If I think I know what your role is, but, you know, sometimes I hear like dev advocate, I hear dev rel, like dev relations. What's the difference maybe between those and what do you actually do at GitLab? So I always joke, like if you put a group of dev rel people in a room together, they're going to talk about like the same three things. What should we call ourselves? Should we be dev rel? Should we be dev advocacy? Should we be dev evangelism? Which part of the organization should we report into? You know, should we be in product? Should we be in marketing? And then how do we measure our success? Those are like the three things, like the evergreen topics in the dev rel space. Now, I think different people will have different kind of perspectives. Uh, but I think, you know, at, at GitLab for us, developer evangelism is what I call the three C's. So it's content creation, which is what folks would consider classic dev rel. That's speaking at conferences, doing podcasts like this, writing blog posts, creating demos, doing media interviews, and just kind of putting the message out there around how developers can use our platform. I think the second piece is community engagement. And this might be more of that kind of developer evangelism piece. And where we're engaging with our community on forums like Hacker News or Twitter or our GitLab forum, and then taking that feedback and bringing it to people in our teams, uh, answering people's questions, making sure that they feel supported and that they have the knowledge that they need to be successful using GitLab. And then the last piece, you know, which is more of your kind of classic dev advocacy, it would be consulting. And that's the third C. And that's like where we're in meetings with our product teams and our product marketing team and talking to them about this is what the community is interested in. This is what the community is using. These are the trends that we're seeing in the space. This is the feedback that we're getting from people on issues or recent changes that we've made. And that, you know, kind of information that we're sharing helps them be more successful as they're building out their roadmaps and things. Our product team, thankfully, has a very tight kind of feedback loop with the community because almost all the work that we're doing is done in our public open issue tracker. But there's still a lot of feedback that comes in through these other channels, like on social or on Hacker News or, you know, on our forum that they might not always be consuming. And so we kind of help serve as like the conduit to bring that that other additional information into GitLab. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I think for, you know, a lot of our developer listeners, this is another, I guess, track that you could go on. And it sounds like a really like, fun job if you don't want to you know stay in the coding world or the coding side of development maybe you want to join a evangelism team or maybe do a stint there and then come back i think it sounds awesome i know also i have a note here and it's going to lead us into kind of our first topic you're also an evangelist of like open source in general open source technology 
How, how did you get started with open source and why do you care about it? Yeah, I think, you know, with open source, it's clearly, in my opinion, the most kind of impactful trend that's happening in software right now. Yeah. I think there's good things and, and not so good things. And I think like as an industry and across industries, businesses are coming to this kind of moment in time where they're realizing that, you know, open source is now an integral part of their stack and they need to better understand it and better invest in it. And really just kind of take a more holistic approach to how they consume and ultimately contribute back to open source. I think things like the log4j vulnerability last year are a great example of like these kind of eye-opening moments where people realize like, okay, you know, we need to have a better sense of what's going on with the stuff that we're using. And there's things that, you know, vendors like GitLab can do that can help with that. But then there's also things that need to happen on the business side as well. Log4j, that was like, I don't know, a world crisis almost, probably a level below a world crisis, but everybody felt like everybody was affected. So it's a really good example. And there's a quote from you that I have. You're, you're kind of stating like lots of people are either utilizing open source, you know, taking the open source code technology, but not many are contributing to it. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I think, you know, I wouldn't say that not many are contributing to open source. Ultimately, the number of people who are contributing to open source has been growing and continues to grow. But I don't think that it's necessarily keeping pace with the consumption of open source. And so maybe that's, you know, kind of the point that we should hone in on. With open source, there's like all of these different projects and so many options for people to choose from. And, and then, you know, you have the big, you know, projects with thousands or tens of thousands of contributors like Kubernetes and GitLab. And then you have smaller projects that are maintained, but maybe a handful of people are a single maintainer. And so, you know, there's this kind of like vast range of how these open source kind of projects are maintained and a big range in the level of participation. And depending on where a project is on that kind of participation scale, you know, there's sustainability concerns. And so if there's thousands and thousands of contributors, there's this, you know, kind of assurance that that project is going to be stable and well-maintained. But as you kind of move down the curve and there's fewer and fewer contributors, you know, there's more inherent risks. And then when there is kind of issues with that piece of software, it can take longer time for that, those vulnerabilities to be resolved. And so I think it's really important just to kind of think about all these different dependencies, all these different variables when you're assessing what you're going to be including in your stack. Okay, so if you're going to make a decision about should I, I include an open source technology in my stack, should I not, like, what is the way that you would maybe interrogate that question? How would you decide? Well, a lot of people will look at things like forks and stars on GitHub as like, yeah. another, you know, kind of indicator of a project's, you know, success. But I think contributors is another really important piece because if something's being maintained by just a single person, you know, I think there's an inherent, you know, higher risk to using a piece of software like that. And then, you know, I think that brings us to like another point, which is the importance for maintainers to build community around their projects. And in some ways, that's even more difficult than building the, the software piece. You know, and I think that that's something that we've had a lot of success with at GitLab. And so that's really where we're at right now is like, we want to invest and continue to build our community, but also start advocating about the importance 
for consumers of open source to also be contributors. Because I think that that's going to help the entire kind of ecosystem grow and develop and become more sustainable. Yeah, I mean, what what's it like as a maintainer? So you're saying kind of like, okay, you know, maintaining something or maintaining a really important open source project is difficult and you're looking for more contribution. What's it like on the maintainer side? Yeah, so I've never been a maintainer of an open source project myself. And so I can't necessarily speak to that as like firsthand experience, but through GitLab, I've been on the community relations team for a number of years. And part of our kind of community relations program set is a GitLab for open source. And so that program allows open source projects to get access to GitLab's ultimate features and all of the entitlements that come with that for free. And so through that, we partner with a lot of large open source projects and speak to the maintainers and the architects behind those projects. And so I think, you know, for them, there's so many decisions that need to go into maintaining, you know, an open source project and particularly the bigger ones, because there's architectural decisions and community decisions and codes of conduct and how do we, you know, build our community in a, in a healthy way where everyone feels welcome. And then there's roadmap decisions. And, you know, that's something that even at GitLab we struggle with when we get a contribution that's maybe not part of the roadmap. And there's a maintenance cost with adding that to the product. And maybe we can't accept that community contribution. So there's a lot of nuances, a lot of difficult decisions that go into being a maintainer. And I think that community in particular, that like, I think there tends to be a risk of burnout when you're in that type of role. And where you feel like there's a lot of pressure on you. And so more, so the more that we can kind of distribute that kind of responsibility set, I think the healthier that those projects and communities will be. Yeah, it totally makes sense. I mean, it's getting close to like running a, a business or like you said, a huge project, tons of decisions. If I'm a developer and I'm considering contributing to open source, like how do I get involved or like, what should I be doing? How do I get in with a either a maintainer or get my stuff approved? Like, what's the process for me? Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a number of steps, like, and paths that people can take to get started. And so that could be just going to a meetup for that project and getting to know the community or kind of reading through their issue list, reading through the forum and getting an understanding around how that community communicates with each other, whether you feel like that culture is something that you want to be a part of, like all of those things I think are a great first step to feel people out. Other people, you know, who are maybe more experienced and contributing to open source will just jump into the issue list for a project that they've been using and find a thing that's been, you know, bugging them and go fix that bug. And so I think it really depends on like what your level of experience is. But I think for first time contributors to open source, I think looking at some of the bigger projects like GitLab or Kubernetes or Chromium or some of the other ones, trying to, you know, get a sense for how that community communicates. What are the pain points? What are the areas for contribution? Because it doesn't even need to start as a code contribution. It could be, you know, organizing a meetup. It could be giving feedback on a survey. It could be commenting on an issue. All of these things, opening an issue, all of these things are like important contributions that contribute to the health of the project are great ways to, you know, kind of start getting involved in a community. And then as you get that sense of how that community works together and you decide that you want to invest in time, then you could spend your time understanding the project and the code and then, you know, ultimately contributing some code to the project. Yeah, I've talked to a few other people kind of in a similar role as you and there's two, and, and then something that you said here, there's like two things that, that I really like. One thing is if you are looking to get involved in 
open source. It doesn't have to start with contributing code. There's also, you know, documentation. There's some of these other contributions to the project that are maybe like you wouldn't think that you could start that way. You mentioned, you know, hosting a meetup or doing something more on the community side. I think that's a great way to get in. The other thing that I love that you said is like, if you're using an open source technology or tool, like fixing a bug that you that's like bothering you, that always seems like a really good way to me to get started because, you know, you know what the issue is, you're passionate about it instead of maybe just like jumping in on something that you don't know. Does that sound fair to you? Absolutely. And I think the more people that are participating, like I, I think the better it will be. So that's that would be like my message to people is like, if you feel hesitant to participate because you don't want to add complexity to the project or you're afraid that you're just going to be like a drive-by contributor, like don't prevent yourself from taking that first step. Like I think the most important part to becoming a contributor in an open source community is taking that first step. And projects, like speaking from the kind of project and the community side, like we really want people to take that first step in our community. And so I would just encourage everyone, like don't feel like you're going to be adding work to someone or, you know, making somebody's life harder. Like the more people that are involved and active, the better for those communities. And so please, you know, join us, take that first step and get involved. Yeah. You know, I, I had kind of a final question I wanted to ask you in this section of the pod, which you started talking about, but are there any myths that you want to dispel about open source or contribution or using it? Anything that you'd want our audience to know the truth about? There's a few myths. I think there's a, this thought that like open source is maybe less secure than proprietary software or it's lower quality or it's not enterprise grade. I think like those types of things uh, are probably like the big myths that need to be dispelled. I think, you know, if you look at the data behind kind of open source versus closed source, I think what you'll find is that, you know, things are very much on par with each other and there's risks. To, to kind of both sides. And so, you know, I, I think um, that would be the one kind of myth that I think needs to be dispelled. Well, it, it also leads to kind of our, our next area here. Let's talk a little bit about organizations or, you know, developers and their working professional lives. You said something like encouraging more organizations to allow their teams to contribute to open source is ultimately going to make those teams happier themselves. Why is that? I mean, what, where does that type of statement come from for you? Yeah, so one thing that we've recently started working on at GitLab is this concept called resident contributors. And so the idea there would be, you know, for folks who are using GitLab to have people in their team who are regular contributors to GitLab. And we have a few people that are using GitLab, GitLab customers that are doing this already, but we're, we'd love to see more. I think that the value to those organizations and to those individuals is pretty clear. And so some of the things that I think I would highlight are like, you get more control around the urgency of your feature requests. So right now, you, you know, if there's a specific feature that you want contributed to GitLab or added to GitLab. We listen to our customers and our customers have feedback into our roadmap and, and can help us prioritize things. But as a contributor, you could go and, you know, move that kind of feature to the top of the list by contributing it yourself. So I think there's like real kind of value there for people. I think there's also value in getting it 
deeper understanding of our platform. And so whether it's GitLab or another open source project, as a contributor and someone who's been working in the code base, you're going to really understand that part of your tool set in a way that you might not understand if you're just kind of patching it in to your tool chain somewhere and not necessarily invested in understanding the ins and outs of that piece of software. And so I think that there's value there where you start developing an in-house expertise in critical parts of your infrastructure. There's also this kind of cultural improvement that happens where a lot of software developers want to be contributing to open source. And so by having this kind of resident expert who's, you know, contributing regularly to GitLab, they'll be able to enable other team members to do the same. And so it creates this culture of contribution that I think would be a, a, a culture add to most engineering organizations. And then you get exposure to like a, a global world-class engineering team. So people that are contributing to GitLab, they go through the same kind of review process as you know, the engineers on our team. And so they get to understand how we do code reviews and what we're thinking about. And they can take some of those nuggets that are maybe things that would be beneficial to them and bring them back into their own engineering culture. So I think there's a ton of benefits that we can talk about. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, all of those. What was going through my head is like, we have a lot of engineering leaders that listen to our pod and there's a lot of pressure on engineering leaders to deliver on features that their company is responsible for. So they might be saying to themselves, I can't, you know, if I'm going to take our developers time and have them contribute to John's project at GitLab, I know it's not your project, but we're going to do work for GitLab. I'm going to miss my feature deadlines. Why would I want to do that? So I'm kind of like kind of playing the devil's advocate side of things. Like, what would you you say to someone that's still in like that, that way of thinking? Yeah, so I think this isn't going to apply to every project, but I think for a lot of the kind of critical infrastructure parts or the DevOps platform team in particular, if you have... A, you know, a platform engineering team or an infrastructure team. And those people right now are working on maintaining your own kind of homegrown infrastructure or your homegrown kind of DevOps platform. If you can take a few of those people to contribute to the components of those kind of, of the architecture of the platform and then free up the rest of the team, which is more, tend to be very talented engineers, you know, you can get a ton of value by contributing to these kind of pieces of your infrastructure you contribute your own customizations and tools back upstream. Those get maintained now by the community behind the project. And then, you know, you can free up engineering resources to go work on those features that drive value to your customers. So in a way, it's about kind of reallocating your engineering headcount from maintaining these in internal kind of platforms to contributing upstream and then freeing up, you know, people from those teams, those platform teams to work on customer facing features. You know what is like kind of resonating with me now that I, that I think it through a little bit more? It's definitely difficult to retain engineers. So if I'm a VP or a CTO and I have some of my responsibility should be around developer happiness, retaining our best engineers, that type of stuff. I mean, the concept of, hey, I, I want you to contribute to open source. I would like you, if there's a tool that you're using within our stack to take 20%, and it's like Google, I think you used to give like 20% of the time to like work on the project you're interested in. Let's take 20% of the time to contribute to open source. I wonder what that would do to productivity and happiness and retention. What are your th thoughts on like maybe that way of thinking about it? 
Yeah, I think absolutely spot on. I think there's a major culture ad in that you can appeal to that developer, that altruistic person who wants to be contributing more back to the stuff that they use. I think, you know, it's advantageous to the organization because you can retain great people and it's advantageous to the developers because they can, you know, in some ways the work that they're doing now becomes portable as you move from kind of one job to another. And we see that in tech. If you're able to contribute features upstream, then, you know, when you go to the next place that's using Kubernetes or using GitLab, those features that you've been working on are already there. And so there's a real benefit to, I think, everybody, both like the individual, but then, and also the organization when you're kind of making that conscious investment in open source. So is there any data? Out, we like data usually on this pod. Is there any studies or data out there that shows the impact of an engineering leader or organization that allows or kind of evangelizes open source contribution for their developers? So it's funny that you ask, because I was actually reading a paper earlier this week from Frank Nagel at the University of Southern California. And the paper is from 2017 and so fairly recent. And essentially, you know, what he's found through a study of organizations that contribute to open source and have people who are paid to do that is that those organizations get 100% more value out of the open source software that they're using. And the benefits aren't just from like the increased kind of usability and performance and effectiveness and value of the software. There's also cultural benefits as well. And so he's, he's found that those organizations, because of their kind of involvement in open source and the openness that, or the awareness of kind of open source work that comes out of those types of contributions, the, that culture of kind of openness and transparency then permeates throughout the organization and really elevates the entire organization as well. And so, you know, it's, it's a really interesting study. I would encourage everybody to check it out. It, as I said, it's from Frank Nagel. It's called uh, Learning by Contributing, and it's from 2017. Yeah, no, that that's awesome. And it makes sense to me. I mean, earlier in the pod, we talked, you mentioned just like remote, remote way of working. Most companies are either hybrid remote or re- remote now due to the pandemic. The open source world has always kind of been working in this async we're all not in the same room. We might be in different countries. I would think also if you get more and more of your developers, if you're an engineering leader contributing to open source, your people might come back and say, hey, you know, this pull request area, this thing that we're doing, it's a bottleneck for us. But in this open source community that I'm working at, it's all async. Here's, the, here's another way to do it. What do you all think of that? Have you seen anything around like adapting practices after contributing to open source for the people that you work with? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's that kind of knowledge sharing is absolutely something that happens. And that's not just something that we give to people, you know, so I think there are a lot of people that learn by contributing to GitLab or reading our public handbook, but it's something that we also do by participating in open source communities. So when we're contributing to other organizations are looking at their practices and how they structure their community and the rituals that they create, how they communicate and their docs. Like, I think there's this tremendous amount of knowledge sharing that goes in both directions. And so, yeah, there's, I think that's absolutely one of the benefits of getting more involved in open source. Yeah, I love it. I'm convinced. I think it, you know, engineering leader, CTO, VP of engineering manager, I believe if you encourage and take some time dedicate a little bit of time, 10%, 20%, 
encourage your developers to contribute to an open source project of their choice, probably even better if you're using that tool internally, you're going to get more than 20% gain back. You give 20%, maybe you get double that. So highly advised to do that. Our last section here, and you know, we've been talking about it the whole time around why businesses should love open source. Let's start with GitLab. Like, why does GitLab love open source? How is it benefited? Yeah, I mean, for GitLab, community has really been part of our company since the first commit to GitLab. So GitLab started as an open source project. Our CEO and founder, Sid, started GitLab, the company, as a show of Hacker News Post. You know, we've always had this kind of open core model where people can contribute to GitLab. We've had thousands of people contribute to GitLab over the years. And we continue to believe that our community is central to our company strategy. If you visit the GitLab strategy page, you'll see that we have this kind of dual flywheel component to our strategy. And one of those flywheels is community contributions, adding new features, which attracts more users, and then converting those users into contributors who will add more features. It's this virtual kind of cycle. That has really been a unique kind of thing that's allowed us to grow. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a core piece of the business and a core part of our strategy. Let's say that I'm working at maybe a more old school company or maybe like more conservative type company. I'm a developer there. I'm a team leader and I'm listening to this pod and I've been saying to myself like, yeah, I've been wanting to either make a part of our, yeah, let's go with that. Make a part of our software open source. And I need to go convince the business or the CEO, help me with a pitch that would allow, you know, some of the business leaders to say to themselves, yeah, this is something that we're missing out on. Like, how do I do that if I'm a developer? So I think it's hard if you work at a more traditional company that's really just starting to go through their digital transformation, just starting to become, just starting on that journey to becoming a software company. And I think all businesses are becoming software companies. It's just that some are different, you know, kind of at different stages. And so I think for those businesses that are at earlier stages, they may not have the internal infrastructure to support those types of things. And so open sourcing a project, there's going to be lots of questions from your legal team and from your PR team and from your executive team. And so I think that's natural. Don't get discouraged. I think going through that exercise the first time will help make it easier in the future when you want to go through that exercise. And I think the other piece of advice that I would have is maybe instead of starting with open sourcing your own project, you might want to start with contributing to another project that you already use because it might be easier to get buy-in for that because there's less ownership there. There's, I think, less perceived risk. Although I don't think there's a tremendous amount of risk to open sourcing a project, I think there's less perceived risk. And then from there, you can kind of go through this maturation cycle where it's starting by contributing to open source. Your legal team and the other stakeholders who are involved get a better understanding of how open source works. And then you can go on to open sourcing your own stuff. And then from there, coming up with a kind of governance structure and a plan to make sure that that project is sustainable. Yeah, it, it makes sense. And he, here's a few things that come to mind for me, you know, and it's probably new for developers or not all engineering leaders, but maybe for team leaders, if you're going to the business, but things that might resonate is, okay, here's what it's going to do for us. First of all, we're going to get more usage and contribution and awareness of our business. Look at, let me show you another open source project. Look at all these developers 
that are contributing to it. That's something that we could have for our business. It's going to help with retention. Developers love when uh, a piece of like our infrastructure or something that's safe is open source. That's more community building we can retain. Maybe we could do some type of convincing around dollars or cost savings and why security is going to be okay. I think if you kind of put together some of these things that a non-developer or a business person would care about, that a light bulb might turn on and say, okay, why don't you take a small part and start, you know, an open source community around it? Yeah. And I think there's a great example of like how this can work well for kind of, you know, more traditional or regulated industries. And it's called Finos. It's like the financial services kind of open source community. It's part of the CNCF, but it's really a, a sub organization that's focus is primarily on getting financial services organizations to open source projects and then collaborate. And, you know, when you think of open source, it would, you know, financial services has not traditionally been a huge kind of contributor to open source, but this program has been really successful in bringing together, you know, kind of all of the big name investment banks to contribute together on a few different projects. And I think it's just kind of a great example of these big organizations realizing that value leveraging the expertise of this organization to kind of help them navigate like legal and kind of other risks that are involved. And together they're seeing great results from it because instead of all kind of replicating the same work in their own different kind of bubbles or silos, they're able to instead collaborate and it makes all of their teams more efficient because they're not all recreating the same model to analyze a certain set of interest rates. They're able to to collaborate that on on that together and then they can kind of, you know, add their unique value by adjusting those those models based on that, you know, how they're perceiving the market conditions. It right. creates just more efficiency in the entire industry. Very, very cool. I think my my call to action for listeners is to go to whoever your leader is or or your business and see what you can do to either allow your engineering team to come commit to open source and participate in open source or take something, a, a piece of your product and make it open source. I think that would be doing good for the world and for the community. John, awesome to have you on the pod today. I know that there's something interesting going on at GitLab that you'd like to talk a bit about, I think called GitLab Commit. What's up with that? Yep. So GitLab Commit is our kind of community conference where all of our kind of users and customers get together and just talk about what's going on in DevOps. This year, we're going to be focusing on security slides in particular, but we're going to have a couple of in-person events. So make sure you go check those out. There's also going to be a virtual component for people that can't make the in-person events. Awesome. We will be sure to get the links from you and include how to get it uh, attend or get involved with GitLab. Commit in the description below. I also want to say thank you to more than the 3,000 of you who are now subscribed to our weekly interruption newsletter. We bring you articles from the community, inside information on weekly pods, and also our first look at Interact 3.0 that's happening on October 25th. If you haven't already attended Interact, awesome, awesome, awesome event to attend. Totally recommend it. Lots of fun. It's free. It's online. So you can start registering for that today. And again, thank you to you, John, for talking to us about open source and how we can get more and more people involved. 
Awesome. Thanks, Dan.